Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to start and we'll get there in just a minute. And I'm going to walk through a couple principles for you and then we're going to move into three different seasons of prayer as I said earlier. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we'll get there in just a second, but before we do that I want to read a few verses to you in light of what we just sang together. Uh, I don't know if you caught that, but we just sang the gospel. We sang about the blood of the Lord Jesus. We sang about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then we sang about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible song set our team put together. But that last song especially, Even So Come. Uh, We've been praying for 31 days. We've been on this prayer journey together. And we've seen God do some incredible things in our lives, life, our church. We're trusting what God is going to do. As we faithfully pray, I hope your testimony is God's done something powerful in your life. You're learning to become a, not just a prayer life, but be a person of a life of prayer. That prayer is just kind of a constant conversation between you and the Lord. But you might be tempted to ask the question, do, do the prayers of God's people really matter? I mean, we could go through all the motions today, and we could do the church thing, pray, but I want you to have a conviction going into this time that the praying of God's people makes a massive difference. So, Revelation chapter 5, I want you to just kind of listen. We don't have time for you to turn there. You can if you want, but it's Revelation 5. I'm going to read three verses, and it's a picture of the consummation of time. When what we just sang about becomes reality, that you do realize there is a day that Jesus Christ is coming back. He will make all things right, make all things new, and restore all things into himself. Jesus is going to fix this mess up world one day. That's the only ultimate hope for the redemption of mankind and the restoration of things the way they ought to be. He's coming to make everything right again. The Apostle John got a glimpse of that in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5 specifically is a scene around the throne of God himself. And there's all these different characters and figures there and it's kind of apocalyptic language. But I want to show you one thing that you see very prominent right there around the throne of God in eternity future. I'm going to read a few verses. John says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. Standing as if slain. By the way, Jesus Christ will bear the marks of the cross for all eternity. As if slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And this is an incredible picture of the throne of God. Just, just hang with me. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Jesus is now worthy to take the book and the scrolls of all of eternity, of all of history. He's going to open this book. Verse 8 says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They began to worship. There's this worship scene around the throne. We know from the next verse that there's people there from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There are people around the throne that God has redeemed and called to himself and will be his people forever and ever. It's this incredible scene around the throne of God and right there at the end of verse 8 listen to this and the elders fell down before the throne each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints the prayers of the saints 
Pastor Mike, could you break all that down and explain to me all that means? I don't have time to do all that, but here's what I want you to see. That in eternity future, around the throne of God, at this celebration of all the redeemed of all the ages, God chooses to make something very prominent, and that's the praying of His people. The prayers of God's people matter. God is not limited. God is absolutely infinite. He is sovereign. He is holy. He can do anything He pleases. He does not need us for some reason that still baffles my mind. The God of all eternity chooses to involve us as we pray. And here in eternity is a picture of the prayers of the saints. So what we're going to do in just a few minutes is we're going to break up in groups and we're going to pray God's word and we're going to pray for our neighbors and we're going to pray for our lost family members and for our community. I want you to know that the praying of God's people, it matters. Now what does that look like now? Well, Paul gives us some instruction in that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And that's why I want you to look there for just a second. I'm going to point out a couple words and then lead us in a season of prayer. But Paul's writing to a church there, the church at Ephesus evidently, where Timothy was the pastor. And he encourages this young pastor Timothy in some things. Evidently, as you read the whole letter, the church had become involved in a lot of good things, but they had kind of lost sight of the most important thing. Paul writes and reminds Timothy, verse 1, he says, first of all, that's a phrase of priority. As the church gathers, as the church comes together, as you are the church, here's something that's very important for you to be involved in, Timothy. Don't lose sight of this as you lead the church. I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He goes on, he says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. For the people of God to pray for men and women is good and acceptable in the eyes of God our Savior. Why? Because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, what Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is urging Timothy to do is to pray missionally. Or to pray evangelistically. With this in mind, that God is sovereign. He's drawing men and women to Himself. God chooses to involve us in that process through our prayers. So it says, Timothy, pray. Call the church to pray. Pray together. And he uses two words here that I want to show you. They're incredibly challenging to me. I've, I've read 1 Timothy 2, I don't know, probably hundreds of times. But these two words especially stuck out. I did a couple of word studies on these two words. Verse 1, he says, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions. Two words. He says, entreaties. What does that mean? Well, the word entreaty literally is the idea, it would be like this, it's a particular type of prayer that is offered in light of a need. If you were to hear about somebody who maybe, let's say, they lost their job, or maybe they were diagnosed with a serious illness, or their house burned down, or whatever it is, and you knew of the serious need in their life, what you would do is you would entreat God on their behalf because you were aware of the need. It's this need-driven prayer. You realize the need in that person's life. Here's what Paul's saying. In the context of missional evangelistic praying, he says, 
pray with the need in mind of men and women who are far from God and don't have a personal relationship with God. In other words, he's saying, as you pray, when you pray, realize there is an eternally significant need in the lives of people who don't know Christ. It is a sense of, here's, here's the, the heart behind, if you would. God, when we pray, don't let it be this rote, go through the motions prayer. When we pray for people, we pray for names, we pray for our lost neighbor. God, would you remind us that eternity is at stake? They may need a job. They may be physically struggling. They may have all of these earthly needs. All of those pale in comparison in light of eternity. For you and me. And we've been praying for 31 days through this prayer series. Your, your elders have been praying specifically for you, for me, for us. God, would you, here's, here it is. God, break our hearts for people that don't know you. Give us the sense that when we pray, we are praying with an awareness of a need that apart from Christ, they are doomed. Doomed. Not challenged. Not Doomed. Paul says, I urge that entreaties, entreat God on their behalf. Petitions is another important word. It means to fall in with someone or to come alongside someone in a sense, to join in someone's situation. He says, Paul, here's desiring that those believers, as they pray, they would have a deep compassion for the lost. This word is also used of when Jesus, it says, he intercedes with us or for us. He joins with us. He understands our situation. It's the idea that we would understand the depths and the pain and misery of those apart from Christ and come to intimately call upon God and plead on their behalf. That's what Paul's calling the church to do. I can't turn that switch in my heart or your heart. So, God, as we begin to pray here in just a few moments, Lord, would you take your word and would you cause that to be reality? That I will not shut my ears, shut my eyes, shut my awareness, and act like it doesn't matter that my neighbor, friend, coworker, family member is doomed without Christ. God, help us to entreat and plead with you from a heart that is broken. Broken. Over the lostness of those in our sphere of influence. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you now to uh, move into kind of a posture of prayer. I invite you to, again, like I said before, you can pray as couples, you can pray as a family unit. If you'd like to pray by yourself, that's fine. If this is a little bit out of your comfort zone, maybe, maybe you just want to kind of watch or pray there on your own. Some of you may want to come down front. Whatever it is, I want to invite you now just to kind of move into a posture of prayer. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to pray this specifically. And someone in the group, just begin to pray. God, break our hearts as a church and as followers of yours for those who don't know Christ. God, would you give us your compassion And God, don't let it be this unknown group of people out there, watch this, called the lost people that we know in our lives who are doomed apart from Christ. So let me invite you now to kind of move into a posture of prayer, a time of prayer. Uh, Then someone will come and close this time in just a few minutes. But go ahead and move into that time. Someone in the group, just begin to pray. Feel free to pray out loud. Pray silently, however you'd like to do that. But let's enter into a season, as the Bible calls us, of prayer as the people of God this morning.
Matthew 9, verses 36 and 37 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's pray. Lord, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. The harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few. Lord, I pray that that won't be the case with Tri-Cities Baptist Church, Lord. pray that the workers will be plentiful. Forgive us, Lord, that we have not shared, that we have not witnessed. Forgive us of our apathy. Convict us, Lord, and burden us with the need to share with those around us, those in our, our schools, our workplaces, the grocery stores, our neighborhoods, Lord, and even in our families. Lord, please help us to recognize opportunities to share with those we're around every day. Please help us, Lord, to do the work of being prepared. Lord, when those opportunities come, please give us the courage and boldness to share the hope we have in Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, church. uh, If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to... Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6 to us shortly. Uh, But we want to now begin to think about, okay, 
we we do need to pray for lost people. Um, as Mike said, not just those people, but people you know, people you live with, people you work with, people you may go to school with. And, and now we want to think about, okay, I need to be bold. And I need to go out and, and to share the gospel with them. We would say, I need to engage them in a conversation. I need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And I think I think Colossians 4 gives us a, kind of a great reminder, a great way to do that. So I'm going to read uh, from the New Living Translation because I like the way it says this. So in verse 5 it says this. It says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You know, you guys just watched a video from Courtney. Uh, Courtney grew up here in church. Uh, she went away to college for four years and she took verse 5, and she went to Italy, and she lived wisely among unbelievers in Rome for two years. Not all of us will do that. Most of us are going to need to get up tomorrow and go to school, go to work, and live wisely among that place where God has placed you. It says in Acts that he, that he has orchestrated where we live, where we work, where we are today. God is sovereign over all that. And I thought, you know, Courtney lived wisely with her friend. She, she made a friend, and she talked to that friend about Jesus. And she, and, and she did that with gracious and attractive conversation. And I think for us as believers, we have great news. We have a great story to tell. And, and as we sang in that last song, I thought about this, that, you know, there, there's people that are not going to be ready for the second coming of Christ. We long for that day as the church. We long for that day. But until he comes, Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's what we're to do. That is the purpose of this church. And so if you guys will take a look, uh, either in the pew behind you or in front of you, there's a, there should be some cards like this. And they're perforated down the middle. They have our, our logo on this side. And you can see the back. It has a, has a place that says, go and pray. And what, what I want you guys to do is, is you look at that. It says, Give me the boldness and the opportunity to share the gospel with. And, and then there's three blanks, right? And if you've been here before, been here in August, you know what we do is we ask you guys to seriously pray for names to go on there. Not those people, not the world, not China, but people that you know. I mean, it could be your parents. It could be your children. It could be somebody you, you work with. It could be students that you teach. It could be a classmate. So there's, there's three blanks on there, and, and you can fill out uh, both sides with the same name. That way you're going to bring one forward a little bit later. Daniel will instruct you how to do that. But this is a time for you to say, God, give me, give me those names. Who is that? Create opportunities for me to, to be intentional, to pursue them with the gospel, uh, to become their friend, uh, to, to have gracious and attractive conversation and, and to share the gospel with them and, and to see them repent and turn to faith in Christ. So as you're praying through that here the next few minutes and, and writing down names, you know, in a sense, you're committing this to the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to be looking for an opportunity to share Jesus with them. So this, this is a big deal. And I want you to to think through that and feel the weight of that. Romans 1 says, people don't have an excuse. They, they see God and they've rejected him. 
and we want to share the good news of the gospel with them. So take those cards, and as we start to, to play some music and sort of go into a time of, of prayer and meditation to, to write down those names, and, and then we'll instruct you later on, on how to do that, and, and someone will close us out shortly in prayer. So if you guys will begin to do that. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Pray with me. Father God, um, I just pray for my church family today. Father, I pray that we would be a people who believes your word, Father, and who claims the victory that you've given us. Um, God, I pray as we go out this week, Father, that you would just put specific names on each of our hearts, God, and that you would um, give us opportunities this week. God, to share the gospel with the people that you've that you've given us, Father, the people whose names we've written on these cards. Um, God, I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, God. We would not be ashamed of the gift that you've given us, Father, but that we would be excited. God, we would be so in love with you that we can't help but tell everyone we see what you've done for us and who you are. Um, Father, I pray that you would just prepare the hearts of those who, who we talk to, God, that they would be responsive, Father, that they would see you and and just glimpses of your glory, Father, and that they would be unable to, to stand still, God, because they're just so overcome by you and your glory. Um, God, and I pray that through everything this week that you would get all the glory, Father, and that you would show yourself to be to be greater than we are. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Sometimes my mind goes to the Hall of Faith there in Romans, and you read about these great giants who with great boldness were faithful to the calling that the Lord had given them, and these great things happened. But then if you continue to read, you will learn that there were also those who were sown in half, were persecuted, and died for the exact same faithfulness. It is very clear that whether or not the result is our persecution or revival, our mission is to turn the world upside down with the gospel. 
See, that is what the early church was characterized as. That was their reputation. Uh, I'm not just uh, throwing those words out. That's in Acts chapter 17. They are described for turning the world upside down. And with them, there was both revival and persecution. And I think about that in my own life, and it's very convicting because I don't know if you followed me, you would describe me as anything near turning my world upside down. It's convicting. And when you look through the book of Acts and you study the new church, there's so many reasons for this gospel movement that is going on among these people. But Luke makes a great point throughout the entire book to hold up the idea of boldness and to teach us and to show us about their great boldness. I think this primarily begins in Acts chapter 4. We find that Peter and John have been arrested for preaching and healing in the name of Jesus. They are brought before the very same council and the very same leaders that would have orchestrated the very death of Jesus and His crucifixion. And there before them, this council notices something about Peter and John. In verse 13 it says, They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, normal people. See, we don't look back at them and say they're normal people, but that's what their peers thought of them, just normal people. And they were astonished. Listen, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Luke makes a, a, a subtle point here that when we get close to Jesus, we are transformed into something that is incredibly bold. Our boldness is anchored in our relationship with Jesus. It's not just personality. It's more than that. And so they go on and they charge them, verse 18, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Listen to verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, their lives had been transformed by the gospel. And no longer did it matter what it would cost them. They had to talk about what they had seen and heard. They had to talk about the very resurrection power of Jesus and what that meant for humanity. They had to talk about it. And so it didn't matter if it cost them their money or their job or relationships or their freedom or even physical abuse, even to the point of their life. It didn't matter if they lost all of that. And remember, again, this isn't a personality type. If you're like me, you like to rationalize and excuse yourself out of things. I do this all the time. This is Peter, by the way. Not too long ago, we find Peter denying the very name and his relationship with Jesus. This isn't just his natural personality type. This is a boldness that is transformed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through them. And so they're released after they're threatened. And they go back to the church. And beginning in verse 24, we see the response of the church. The early church. And they begin to pray. It says, when they heard it, that Peter and John had been released, they lifted their voices together to God. Said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Listen. Listen. Take notice of this. Recognize 
that God is in control. See, the important foundation to our boldness is that we can rest that our God is sovereign. That our God is in control of every circumstance, of everything that He goes before us. And so whether we are the one who is sawn in half or whether we are the one that leads to great repentance, we can trust the Lord in it beyond the circumstance of the result. And sometimes, I, I, I don't know, it was a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, and a truth hit me. Does that ever happen to you? A truth hits you so hard it's like a sledgehammer right in the face and it just destroys and breaks your ego and pride and all these things that you've been holding up. It dawned on me. This real simple reality that my lack of boldness was directly connected to my lack of faith in God. Because with those people and the names I write on those cards, those people who are dear to me, if I genuinely believed that in that moment, if I would share with them the gospel and call them to a response, that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill them and draw them to themselves and they would place saving faith, if I really believed in that moment it would happen, I would do it every time. And the reason I don't is because I'm afraid it will not. That is the lack of, the, of faith and the power of my God and His gospel. I recognize that. Look, here they recognize this foundation to their boldness as the sovereignty of God. They continue praying down to verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now watch what happens here. The church doesn't pray to be delivered from their hostile circumstance. They don't pray for somebody else to come. They don't pray for their government to change. Those are good things. I get it. But at the core of their prayer request is, Lord, give me, give us, the church, boldness to proclaim your word in the circumstance I find myself in today. They didn't pray for deliverance. They prayed for boldness to go. Man, that's so convicting to me. That's so convicting to us as Americans who so cherish our comfort that we would pray for boldness in our circumstance. Verse 31, when they had prayed, they finished praying, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Church, listen, if we are going to turn our world upside down with the gospel, it will require a boldness that comes from a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. We must be bold. We must recognize that Christ and his gospel is everything. That it is the need, the greatest need of our parents, our kids, our neighbors, our co-workers, those students that sit across from you in class. It is the greatest need of the world. And it is for this need that Christ has reconciled us and set us apart for the ministry of reconciliation. We are the ambassadors. We are the primary evangelistic strategy of the church. You And those names that you write down, they are no small thing, but they represent the very souls of men and women whose eternity hangs in the balance. And God has positioned you 
you, not Pastor Mike, you in their life to boldly proclaim the good news of salvation. What we're going to do as a church now is I'm going to pray for us. And when I say amen, what I want us to do is physically, symbolically do something that hopefully will burn as remembrance in our hearts and our minds to be bold for those names. And what I'm going to ask you to do as soon as I'm finished praying, I'm going to ask you to stand up out of your seat and I'm going to ask you to tear that card in half and I want you to bring half of your card. So those names, and I want you to put them here on these steps, here in the front. Here's the symbolic idea, that you are bringing them before the Lord. That you are saying, my yes is on the table. Here I am, Lord, send me. And that you would continue as you do this with a recognition of what is at stake. With a reverence of the power of the gospel and a season of prayer. Come drop those names off, come back to your seat, continue praying, and then we're going to sing. And as we begin to sing, one of the things I want you to recognize is that Jesus is everything. He is worth our boldness. He is worth the risk. It may lead to revival. It may lead to persecution. But He is worth it all. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we trust You. We trust you you are in control of all things lord i believe that you have strategically gifted us and set us apart in our neighborhoods in our workplaces in our schools you've strategically wired our hobbies to put us around people that you would have us share the good news of your son lord i pray that with great conviction and compassion, compelled to where we have no other choice, we would go out boldly and that we would turn this community upside down and that we would turn our world upside down for the gospel. Remind us these are not just names. These are the souls of men and women whose eternity hangs in balance. And Lord, convict us. Give us a love for them that would not hide the light, Lord, but would shine it boldly. Heavenly Father, give us boldness to share the gospel. I pray these things in the name of your Son, the name of Jesus. Amen. At this time, if you would, please bring your cards to the front in an attitude of prayer.